Welcome back to Jeff and Jonathan's podcast on the Minor Prophets. Uh, Last week, we spent a lot of time in Micah talking about some of the uh, issues around, really around, centered around Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So we explored that and kind of talked about what that would mean about in our lives today in the 21st century. Um, so hope hope you got to listen to that discussion. This week, we're going to kind of finish up some of the things that we didn't have time for last episode and talk about some of the prophecies, some of the hope that Micah brings to his listeners. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I think we had really only planned to do two episodes on Micah, but there's just been so much going on the last couple of weeks um, around the nation and around the world. Uh, but it just, it really just seemed fitting to spend more time in Micah because so much of the content here is so appropriate, but, you know, we got done and we're like, man, we still have so much good stuff. Like we talked a lot about the judgment. We talked a lot about, you know, the, like you talked about verse six, eight, um, that's, you know, such a rich, rich verse. And it's just something that I think right now that, you know, we're all craving is we want to live in a culture and a society where people do justice, that where people love kindness and walk humbly. Um, you know, but we didn't want to just leave Micah and not get into this hope because they're, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Some of the other prophets we looked at, they're very heavy on the judgment. And then you come to the end and there's like this three verse segment that's like, but there'll be a remnant and yeah. you know, Oh, hope, 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 you know, and it's so nice at the end. Um, but Micah is the first one we've come to that, you know, it's this back and forth theme. There's, you know, a little bit of judgment, but then hope, and then a little bit of judgment and then hope. And, and he then, mixes it up a little yeah, bit. More. Yeah. And, and he even spends, you know, um, in the middle section, there's, you know, a good you know, chapter two talking about the hope and, you know, it just didn't seem fitting to come to Micah and just talk about judgment and we need to change and fix and not talk about the hope. So it's almost like a little bonus episode. That's right. Um, yeah. where we're going to go through and talk about some of the, the hope that's buried in Micah. I wouldn't even say buried. It's not, you know, it's not even buried in Micah. It's just right there. That's right. Um, to, to read and to enjoy and to really be encouraged by, you know, some of the prophecies and the fulfillment. Because uh, we have some of these prophecies are fulfilled in Christ that we can look back and be like, oh, yeah, that's how that happened. Um, but then there's also some of the future prophecies about, you know, a time when there is no war and where, you know, we do live in peace and things that like that. That one has not yet been fulfilled, that, I'm that pretty has, sure. Yeah. That has not yet happened. If you have not turned on the news uh, recently, you'll yeah. you'll see that that has not happened yet. But uh, we can rest in that hope, and that is there. So, so and, and like Jeff said, there's a few different things interspersed. So the first one is at the end of Chapter 2. So kind of the, the courtroom scene, some of the charges have been brought, um, some of the the uh, accusations made, but then he slips in a couple verses here in chapter two, verses twelve and thirteen. He talks about gathering, uh, assembling Jacob, uh, gathering a remnant. Uh, I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. A noisy multitude of men. I was t- <laughs> I, I just find that to be a, a very apt phrase for God's people. A noisy multitude of men. You know, um, or I mean. I, I just see us getting together, and I, you know, I, I think here this isn't a gender specific. I think it right. means of mankind. So mankind, I mean, just yeah. kind of get together. We are pretty noisy. That kind of describes a typical uh, after church on Sunday. We're kind of mm-hmm. on the noisy side, and in general, we like to speak and be heard and all, all over the place. And so, um, you know, it just kind of is a happy phrase too. You know, yeah. um, so anyway, that that's how uh, that's how uh, God's followers are described, um, and then and then it describes. Uh, what is is called uh, pretty commonly a shepherd king here in verse 13. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. And so there's this idea of kind of breaking out of a besieged city. 
mm-hmm. um, and turning uh, maybe imminent defeat into a victory, all from the leadership of this shepherd king. Yeah, and it's kind of neat because, yeah, as you mentioned in verse 12, it's this idea of a shepherd, but then when you get to 13, um, you know, if you studied uh, Hebrew poetry, you see the parallelism where they'll say one thing and then they'll say, you know, a very similar thing in the next line that kind of matches. And so using the parallelism here, we have their king followed by the Lord. So we've equated the the king and the Lord as being one there. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's kind of neat when you see, you know, God right here saying, like, I'm going to be your king. The Lord is and the thing to me about this passage, so in this first section, the hope is just two verses. It's like we've had all this judgment. You mentioned the courtroom, you know, chapter two, woe to those who divide wickedness. And, you know, it's all this stuff about my people have risen up as an enemy in verse eight, you know, and it's, this is another one of those, like in Hosea, where you're reading along and he's just like, these people are awful, you know, and it's like, they they want wind and lies and, you know, preach of wine and strong drink. That would be the preacher. And you're expecting him to come and be like destruction for all. But then you get to 12 and it's like, surely, I will surely assemble all of you. Yeah. I'll gather the remnant. You know, it's just, it's not what you're expecting when you it's read through final, that. It's not final, right? It's, and, it's not. And yeah. it's it's really neat when you kind of see it in, in the context that, you know, whereas we expect that ultimate final judgment, God comes in and is just like, but there's a remnant and I'm going to save you and protect you. And this this also, that whole section there, the, you know, 12 and 13 to me, it reminds me of uh, in First Peter two twenty five, where uh, Peter writes, he says, "For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." And so, this is a very New Testament image that we we get to you know to think about you know as God being our shepherd, uh, and all we like sheep have gone astray. So. That's right. You know, Isaiah fifty three comes to mind as well. You know, just that uh, uh, of Christ being the sacrifice for our sins. Anyway, okay. It's, Really good chapter. Uh, read it. So uh, then we continue on in Micah chapter three, and uh, again, there's more condemnation, right? There's uh, he kind of railing against the authorities, uh, the, both the the civil civic authorities, um, their leaders, the priests, also the judges, and uh, then you know we we hear that uh, because of these corrupt leaders, Zion shall be plowed as a field. I'm at the end of uh, chapter three here. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountains of the house a wooded height. That's kind of a low point. Right. <laughs> then we have chapter four. Chapter four is all talking about how Zion is going to become, you know, it shall come to pass in the latter days about how Zion is going to become more preeminent and uh, how Zion is going to be um, looked to from uh, the, the other nations are going to look to Zion, at, that is Jerusalem, for leadership. And one of the cool things about that this whole section here is we talked about this a couple episodes ago, but it's uh, Micah 3.12 that you just read that's referenced back in Jeremiah chapter 26 verses 18 and 19. And back in the context there, Jeremiah actually lived through all this. And to me, what's cool about that is, you know, they reference the part about Zion being plowed as a field and the destruction. But if, you know, anybody that would have been paying attention and listening to the, it was, I think the elders that stood up and said, Hey, remember Micah, Micah right. prophesied this, but Hezekiah listened, repented and turned to God and it went well for them. So we should listen to Jeremiah as kind of the context there. But anybody that listened to that, that turned to that, would have come to that section and immediately gone to the part about, you know, like you mentioned in chapter four, the hope of this, the latter days when, when God's going to come back and, you know, and so, yeah, it would have pointed them if anybody that had been listening in Jeremiah's time would have been pointed right to that section where it opens up all this hope. And imagery. Yeah. And, and in chapter four, you know, a little later on, it talks about how Judah would be exiled by Babylon. And I think we mentioned last time how unexpected that would be at this time because Babylon was... A vassal state of Assyria. (laughs) Also under the uh, thumb of Assyria, that's right. Yep. Uh, 
And so you've got this idea that, yeah, there's going to be a period where Zion is destroyed, but that's not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. That God is still faithful to his promise that he made to Abraham. Zion will uh, will be restored and uh, talks about prosperity. Um, everyone's going to have their own vine and their own fig tree. No one will make them afraid. All the people walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And this idea of a restoration towards the right relationship that God has planned for his people. So a really nice passage here right after, you know, he's, he's kind of balancing it right after we, we find out that, that Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Now we're going to talk about everything. Uh, this is where a pretty famous, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So, I mean, there's not going to be a need for the implements of war anymore. Yep. Um, Chapter four, verse three. Yep. Yeah, and it's it's just this great picture of, you know, again, it's um, walking in the name of God and the authority of God for never and ever being with God. And we talked about this a little bit last time, too, about, you know, so much of what God wants is it's not a bunch of people that are confined and stuck following these rules, but actually walking with him. When you're walking with God, you don't need a rule book to tell you what to do. You, you're close to him, you know. It's just like for those of you that are married— your wife doesn't have to give you a list of all of her likes and dislikes for you to read every day and follow. Um, but as you spend time, you learn. And because you love your spouse, um, you want to please them. And so you want to do what's good and you want to do things that encourage them, uplift them, or you know, make them look good around others and things like that. Uh, and that's kind of the relationship that God wants with us. And it's you see that kind of you know jump off the page here. Just this picture that Mike is painting is one of, you know, it's a very much a, a a living relationship uh, where we are, you know, with God, God is in our presence. Uh, and it's, you know, this is, this is the justice and the peace and the prosperity that I think so many people are crying out for. And it's something that, you know, unfortunately I don't think we're going to experience until <laughs> Christ's return. Um, but it is the hope that we have that even today we get to look forward to that hope and to that day that there is a resurrection. Christ is coming back and we do get to look forward to a time where we are living in peace, where we don't have to worry about swords and spears, but we can have, you know, plowshares, pruning hooks, uh, you know, and chilling out in, in your under your vineyard and your fig tree, you know, instead of going out and preparing for wars. <laughs> and so. that's what the future holds for us uh, as, yeah. as Christians. I mean, that's the hope that we have even, even still today. Um, and there will be times, and when we look at history, right, Assyria was really cruel, and they were really making the lives of Israel, particularly Israel, but also Judah, were making it miserable. They, they destroyed a number of towns. Uh, there was suffering in Judah and Israel at the hands of the Assyrians. And we know that God did judge the Assyrians. Tune in next week. We're going to talk about Nahum and his message of oracle of judgment against Nineveh. Um, but we know that he didn't do it right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, I mean, hundreds of years, you know, uh, generations went past bef- between you know, the time of, of the suffering or some of the suffering, and then until it came like maybe to its fullness when God said, all right, now is the right time for this nation to be judged. And so the lesson is there is that there's it's not always on our time frame. Right. And um, so there is hope in the future, and that's really where our focus needs to be. But in the meantime, that doesn't mean there isn't suffering. Yeah. So um, very, very fulfilling or, you know, very encouraging uh, passage there. So, you know, then when we come along, when we get to chapter five, which is kind of in the same section of hope, it's kind of continuous hope bubbling over um, here and it goes into five, um, you know, and, and this is one that, you know, probably again, one of the more famous passages in Micah's cha- uh, found in chapter five, verse two, where he says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, uh, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah from you shall come forth 
For me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, who's coming forth, is from old, from ancient days. Uh, and then it goes on a little bit more, but you know, very clearly here we have a you know messianic prophecy. Um, but one of the things we talked about that's kind of interesting is you know this is very clearly a prediction of future that you know one is coming, one shall come forth, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Kind of seems backwards, uh, you know. Yeah, it's how, like, how can someone who isn't even here yet <laughs> be, be of, of from old. ancient days? Yeah, and and so you know, of course, for those reading this, uh, I guess the temptation would have been to look at this and be like, well, maybe the prediction is from old, from ancient days. Uh, the coming forth, though, you know, that's going to be in the future. I, I don't know. I don't know how, quite how they would have read this back then. But of course, for us, looking back, we can see the perfect fulfillment of that in Christ, where you have Christ who was with God in the beginning, uh, with God at creation, you know, but coming forth as a man in a future time, being born in Bethlehem, uh, you know. So, and this this gets back into what we talked about a couple weeks ago about, you know, there's a temptation of, you know, I've seen of some scholars wanting to kind of diminish in places like in uh, chapter 4, verse 10, where it talks about Babylon and Judah being rescued and redeemed in Babylon. Uh, and at the time that Micah lived, Babylon wasn't even, you know, they were just under Assyria. And so people have tried to read into that, well, maybe that section was written later, you know, like, because again, there's something hard to accept about prophecy about Micah being able to so accurately and precisely predict the future, you know, a hundred years before it happened. Uh, I think but, the hard the hard part <laughs> is that it it has to be from God exactly because I mean, that's yeah. that's beyond man's capability, really. Yeah. yeah, and that's again where you see like, okay, well, fine. Even if you want to say like, well, maybe they threw in the part about Babylon later. You know, we know Micah was written um, long before Christ. Uh, you know, we have the, from the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, the Septuagint was translated long, be, you know, a couple hundred years before Christ was born. So. You know, these passages, these messianic prophecies were written before Christ was born. And to be able to reconcile that, you know, even that part about, you know, he's going to come forth, but he's going to be from of old. Like, you know, it's just one of those things like that. It doesn't make sense. If you're trying to write a prophecy, probably wouldn't write something that makes sense. It's likely to happen. But this just looks like one of those like that doesn't even make sense. That would never happen. Yeah. But then here we have Christ, and it's like, oh, oh, it did. Yeah. And, and it was clearly, you know, it's not just Jeff and I here saying this was messianic. Uh, it was clearly understood to be messianic, you know. In Matthew chapter two, uh, Herod's like, "Where's this king coming from?" And they were like, "Well, of course, because it says in Micah he's going to become the king's coming from Bethlehem." Yep. And that's why Herod went and slaughtered everyone two years and younger. And um, so it's it, it's it's clearly. I mean, it's, it's, it's always been understood as a messianic prophecy. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I like, if you continue on, uh, it talks again and refers back to this shepherd king kind of concept, like in. Um, in verse 4, it says, He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And I think Jeff probably has something he wants to say about that in a minute. But uh, it talks about they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And I, I really like how that puts it. And Jesus indeed is our Prince of Peace. He is the one that protects us, uh, us poor sheep in a world of wolves. We have a shepherd who is the Prince of Peace that will uh, that is our strength and will fight for us. And that's where our security comes from. Yeah. And we touched on this a, a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, that I love that phrase there, the majesty of the name of the Lord. You know, it talks about uh, the Messiah coming uh, in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord, because, you know, for us in our culture, we don't really think of names as being much, you know, typically, yeah. you know, when we name our kids, we either pick a family name or, you know, pick a name that sounds cool. 
you know, we either pull out the name and pick one of the popular names so our kid doesn't have a strange name or we do the opposite and we look at the popular names and we don't pick those because we want our kid <laughs> to be unique, um, whatever it is. But for us, you know, names don't quite carry the same meaning they did back then, but uh, especially in, in Hebrew times, in the Israelites times, names had a lot of meaning. You know, like we talked about Micah's name, uh, it means, um, it's, a, it's a rhetorical question, but it means who is like Yahweh, who is like God. Uh, you know, so his name had meaning and it's actually, in some ways it's kind of fulfilled in his prophecy. Uh, so the name itself had meaning, but then also the idea of a name carried authority. So if you came in the name of the King, you were coming by the authority of the King. And it's, you know, it's kind of like in our household, you know, if I send one of the kids and say, you go tell your brothers and sisters to come downstairs, you know, dad said to do dad said, (laughs) it's like, you know, in the name of dad, come downstairs. Uh, but it carries weight. And I expect that, you know, one of the kids goes upstairs and said, dad says, get downstairs. Now I expect that that should carry the same weight as me saying it. And, and that's kind of the, what this idea of the name, but I love that the the word majesty is attached to name that it's not just in the authority, but in the majesty because uh, you think of majesty and what that word means, um, you know, it's not just by the authority of God, but also with God's majesty and God's power and awesomeness. And again, you know, that if, if you were trying to write a prophecy about this future coming king, you wouldn't necessarily want to throw in the word like, yeah, like the majesty of God is going to be this king. Well, and then on top of that, <laughs> you're also saying the majestic God, he's going to show up in the little town of Bethlehem. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, you know, even in this prophecy, it says, you know, you're kind of like a nothing town, Bethlehem, but don't worry. <laughs> it's going to, you know, you, you got big things in store for you. And, uh, you know, there's something to learn about God there that, you know, he does have that majesty. You know, Jesus did have the majesty of God, uh, the authority of God. And yet the choice was made mm-hmm. to show up in this little town, Bethlehem. And even more than that, right? Yeah. He shows up in a stable. He doesn't even get a proper... <laughs> A normal, I mean, it's like a, a grade down from what normal, uh, you know, yeah. Hebrew babies would, would receive. I mean, right. he's, he's with the animals in his birth. I mean, he just starts so low. And although that's, I mean, that seems like a big deal to us. But like compared to Jesus coming down from heaven to earth, that was right. probably the really big step for <laughs> yeah, him, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, this whole concept of, I mean, it, it was a really humble existence. And even though, and you can see that even in the, in where he came and how he came and, um, and yet he is, he brings peace and he is our shepherd king. Yeah. So that's, that's a really neat passage and there's just so much hope in there. And again, it's, it's cool for us because we can, like I said, look back and see how that was fulfilled in Christ. And, and again, there's so many seeming contradictions in there that just, you know, that don't make sense on the surface, but then when you see how they were fulfilled and it kind of helps, I think, to be a little bit somewhat sympathetic to, you know, the scholars in Jesus day that didn't quite piece it together. I, I wouldn't have pieced it <laughs> Cause together. yeah, I don't, I don't think I would have either. Um, so anyways, I, it's, it's, I'm it's really, really proud neat. of them for knowing it was Bethlehem that they came <laughs> right. from. I mean, I've, I've, I'm not, not sure I would have done as well. I'm not I'm, just a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he also too mentioned, you know, so he transitions from there, which I think is interesting. He, he then goes back to Assyria. Um, and it, it's kind of neat because in verse six, the latter half of that, he says, he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Um, which if you look at when Micah, you know, prophesied, you know, there's the two things. There's the one is in the previous chapter, he's talking about Babylon, talking about how Babylon's going to, you know, uh, carry him away. Um, and now he switched back to Assyria, but talking about God delivering Judah from Assyria when he comes into our land and treads within our border. And we see this prophecy fulfilled probably in Micah's lifetime when Assyria does, you know, they, they destroyed the Northern kingdom in 722 
And about 20 years later, around 701, Assyria then comes and, you know, surrounds Israel. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is the story with, you know, Isaiah and Hezekiah, where Hezekiah comes and lays out this letter from Assyria. Uh, and they, you know, humble themselves before God, you know, uh, deliver, you know, pray to God, ask for God's deliverance and God does deliver them. So again, it's just so fascinating to me when you look at these prophecies and just how on the surface, it's very easy to see that these just, they don't seem very, you know, uh, continuous or just, they don't seem to fit together. But then when you see how it was fulfilled, it's just like every single one of them just perfect. Uh, so yeah, so then continuing on, you get Micah 6. There's some more indictments uh, in the middle of this. You know, we have Micah 6, 8, which we mentioned, I think, at the beginning of this this lesson. But then chapter 7 gets back to some of the um, some of the promises and some of the hope that, that uh, there, there ought to be for the future. Uh, there's kind of this concept of a remnant being come together, you know, and it's like, uh, I think in chapter 4 we learn that, that it's, it's like the lame people, it's, it's the rejects or whatever that God has gathered together, not the strong of this world, but... Yep. Through them, he's going to reestablish and he's going to rebuild the walls, extend the boundary. Um, everyone's going to be ashamed by being seeing everything that God's done. So again, you know, we see that it's it's God's power that's doing the work and that that's bringing back the the glory and the and the preeminence and the fulfillment of His plan. Yeah, and that kind of goes along with we talked about this last week, but there's that verse in uh, chapter seven seven where Micah says, "As for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, and my God will hear me." He has this unshaking faith that it's God that's going to deliver him, God that's going to deliver the people, and his hope rests in God. Uh, and that's, I think, a powerful message for us, you know. And that, you know, as he starts to conclude the book here in chapter seven, um, there's this beautiful passage at the very, very end, uh, starting in verse eighteen, which you know, again, Micah's me, Micah's name means "Who is like Yahweh?" And he says in verse eighteen, "Who is a God like you?" pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Uh, and it's kind of cool. I don't know if you noticed it in there, but he switches from talking to the people and saying he will have compassion, he will tread our iniquities, and then he makes a pivot in 19 and says, "You will cast all our sins into the depths. You will show faithfulness." So he ends he ends the book, you know, telling the people, but then looking up to God and saying, "God, I believe you in you, and I believe that you're going to be our deliverance." What a beautiful few verses to finish out Micah's message. Yeah. Uh, there's really. Uh, it kind of sums it all up, and it gives us hope for the future. So I hope this week, is, uh, as you uh, go about your week and everything, that you may be able to uh, keep these words uh, with you, that he does not retain his anger forever. He delights in steadfast love. Um, have compassion on us. He's going to tread our iniquities underfoot. And we know that that was fulfilled in Jesus. All our sins are cast away. And there's the good news right there. So we thank you for joining us as we wrap up Micah this week. And uh, next week, we're going to be jumping into Nahum and talking about the Assyrians and their end.